Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. God is expecting us to increase, not just in knowledge, but in wisdom. Wisdom is more than just collecting Bible verses in our mind. It's more than just knowing more about theology of Scripture. It's the skill of living life and living it righteously, making value judgments between what's really important and what may uh, beckon us away from something that is true and godly and virtuous. lots of downsides to getting older. You might start to lose your eyesight, your hearing, and even your hair. But as we age, godly men and women should be increasing in wisdom. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares introduces us to an 80-year-old man tucked into the pages of 2 Samuel who shares some timeless octogenarian wisdom. I'm Dave Drewey. Glad you could join us today for a message called Making Value Judgments That Are Ahead of Your Time. Well, now, here's Pastor Mike. came across a uh, test that I thought we might take together this morning. It's called, You Know You're Getting Old When. You know you're getting really old. You know you're getting really old when you and your teeth don't sleep together. You know you're getting old when you try to straighten out the wrinkles in your socks. And you discover you're not wearing any. (laughs) Kind of gross, that one, isn't it? Here's one I like. You know you're getting old when it takes you two tries to get up from the couch. (laughs) You know you're getting old when you're on vacation and your energy runs out before your money. And you know you're getting old, I like this one, when your idea of weightlifting is standing up. So (laughs) there's a lot more, but they don't get any better, so I'll stop right there. There are a lot of things about getting old, obviously, that are are quite a hassle. They're a bit of a pain and frustration and all of that. But if you look at the Bible, you open the Bible up, you'll find that in the Bible there is something about aging. There's something about getting old that uh, ought to be accompanied by this very important commodity. As a matter of fact, it's something you should find amongst old people. Job 12 puts it that way. Don't you find wisdom among the aged? Isn't there understanding with length of life? Now, I recognize old age and wisdom don't always go together, but you're more likely to find it there. And oftentimes, those that feel like they're close to their departure, they're on the threshold of the next life, they seem to acquire a certain uh, wisdom, a certain insight that uh, those of us that are younger just don't have. You might be interested to know the uh, connection made is so interrelated in the Bible that uh, even Jesus, the 30-something that uh, was uh, uh, ascended to heaven after his resurrection, is pictured in the book of Revelation as having uh, white hair. In the Old Testament, the prophet Daniel foresaw the coming of the Son of Man and described him as the Ancient of Days, again with, uh, with a head of, of, of white hair, white as wool, it says. In the New Testament, the leaders of the church, uh, these folks that are supposed to embody wisdom, with the wisdom to administrate and teach, they're called in the New Testament church, what? Elders. Elders. The, the relationship between age and wisdom, you might remember that, that uh, time we spent in Hebrews 5 and 6, reminded us that as time clicks off the clock and as we turn the pages on the calendar, God is expecting us to increase, not just in knowledge, but in wisdom. Wisdom is more than just collecting Bible verses in our mind. It's more than just knowing more about theology of Scripture. It's the skill of living life and living it righteously 
making value judgment, judgments between what's really important and what may uh, beckon us away from something that is true and godly and virtuous. Folks that are older, those particularly in the scripture that model this for us, give us something to shoot for. They give us this picture of what wisdom's all about. And I don't know if you've ever sat across the table or sat in the living room with someone that you consider godly and wise. But if you get to know people like that and you have the opportunity to sit and really talk to an elderly person that has walked with Christ and embodies wisdom, you know it's an attractive thing. It's something that you just go away from thinking that that is what I want. That's what I'd like to I'd like to embody that kind of 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 stability, that kind of 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 insight, that kind of ability and skill at living life. What does a wise person look like? Well, that's a vast topic. But this morning, I'd like to introduce you to an octogenarian, an 80-something-year-old guy who in the Scripture, we only get a few verses on, but he gives us a, a target to aim at. He gives us a picture of what wisdom's all about, and I want to show him to you this morning. His name is Barzillai, and he's found in 2 Samuel chapter 19. So please open your Bibles and look at this profile of a wise man, someone who is able to make value judgments that all of us should seek to emulate. We ought to be trying to grab this wisdom as quickly as possible and implementing that in our own lives so that we can, before we're 80, say that God is working into our lives that kind of of sagacity, that kind of insight, that that kind of wisdom. Look at it with me. 2 Samuel chapter 19, we see Barzillai's name mentioned in verse number 31. He's not new to us, Uh, at least if you were with us, you might remember the bottom of chapter 17. He's one of the three guys that comes when David is in dire need, traveling east of the Jordan River, running from his rebellious son Absalom. Barzillai is one of three guys that provides him with that very exotic, uh, lengthy, varied grocery list of supplies that are supplied not only for David and his family, but for all his men. And so these three guys step up to the plate and they help him. And here's the description of it. After it actually happened, it says, Barzillai the Gileadite also came down from Rogalim, the city that he's from, to cross the Jordan with the king. Why? Because King David's going back. Absalom is is now gone. The threat and the upsurgence and the coup d'etat that was launched is all over now. And David is welcomed back into Jerusalem. He's being met by leaders and officials and the elders of Israel. And he's now restored and being restored to all the power, all the wealth, all the authority, all the sovereignty of the only king, the recognized king of Israel. He's on his way back to a place of position and power. And in doing so, he's meeting up with lots of folks. And one guy that goes to see him off is Barzillai. And he goes to send him on his way. And Barzillai, verse 2, was a very old man. And here's a description of what he did. This 80-year-old guy had provided for the king during his stay in Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. Stop right there. There's the simple description of what this man had done. I already told you that was his deal. He came with his wealth and provided for David and all of his family and all of his army supplies that they needed. And the list is quite impressive. If you look at it again there at the bottom of verse, uh, chapter 17, all the things, bedding and bowls and all kinds of foods. Now, I don't care how rich Brazilii was. I don't care if he's a really wealthy, wealthy man. This was a sacrifice. It cost him. Even if he took two very rich buddies with him to feed everyone and care for them and give them provisions to survive out there in the Transjordan region, this was a very costly endeavor. It cost him a lot. And you say, well, okay, I understand that. He's a wealthy guy. But I don't want to focus on the fact yet that he's wealthy. I want to focus on the fact that he's 80 years old. And there is something about godly people as they grow older 
that changes their relationship with their money. And I want to show it to you in a very poignant passage found in Psalm 49. So keep your finger here and turn over to something that I think all aging, godly people discover about the resources they possess in their bank accounts and the assets they have on their balance sheets. This is something they come to realize. Psalm 49. The sons of Korah write this psalm, and they say at the very outset that this is going to be a psalm of wisdom. Look at it. Verse 1. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all you who live in this world, both low and high, both rich and poor. My mouth speaks words of wisdom. The utterances from my heart will give understanding. And it's setting, it up, setting us up for some insight here. Drop down to verse 10 as he gets to the topic that we're discussing, that of finances. He says, For all can see that the wise men die, the foolish and the senseless alike perish. Duh, right? We all die. That's obvious. And everyone dies, one and one. It's totally consistent. You can bank on it kind of thing. But here's the insight. And they all leave their wealth to others. Okay, well, I guess I know that too. But he's about to elaborate on this simple truth. The simple truth is no matter how rich you are, when you die the day after you're dead, you can't use any of your money. You can't get to any of your resources. doesn't matter how much money you had in your checking account, your savings account, or how many assets you had. You can't touch it once you die. He goes on to say in somewhat of a morbid tone, verse 11, their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. But man, despite his riches, he does not endure. He's like the beast of the field that perishes. In that sense, they're just alike. The animal dies, the, the rich man dies. This is the fate of everyone who trusts in themselves and their followers approve of their sayings. They're like sheep destined for the grave and their death and death rather will feed on them. The upright will rule over them in the morning and their forms decay in the grave. Sorry about that. But look at this last line. Far from their princely mansions. It's gone. The separation between wealth and and, and what they have, it's gone. Look at verse 16. Don't be overawed when, when a man grows rich. When the splendor of his house increases, don't be impressed with that. For he, here's the wisdom, can take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. As J. Vernon McGee used to say, you'll never find a U-Haul behind a hearse, you know? There's no, there's no way to kind of take it with you. And the wisdom in that, if you ponder it, it starts to come. It starts to come. He says, verse 18, though, he lived, uh, though while he lived, he, he counted himself blessed. And men praise you when you prosper, he'll join the generations of his fathers who will never see the light of life, at least not this one. The man, here's the upshot, verse 20. The man who has riches without understanding is just like the beast that perishes. A cow, a lamb, a a horse, a mule, they die. Rich man dies. If he has no, conditional, has no understanding. The man without riches, or the man who has riches without understanding, that begs the question, doesn't it? What does a man with understanding look like who has riches? Well, he dies too. What's the difference? It begs the question of what does a wise man act like with his riches? Turn over to one more passage with me. 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. Not John. 1 John. Go to the end of your Bibles. Turn back a few books. Look at 1 John chapter 3. What does wisdom do with money? Here's what it does. Put it in the words of the apostle as it relates to Christ. Against the backdrop of what Christ did for us. 1 John 3.16. Are you there? Look at this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, okay? He loved us. He sacrificed to the umph degree. He did all that he could do to provide and to love us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. We ought to be consumed with the same passion. Want to love God? He says, fine, love the family, love the brothers. 
Now look at this next line. Now he gets to the specifics. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Answer, it can't. That wouldn't make any sense. The rhetorical question is, how can a guy really love God and love his brother, have some possessions and not give them when there's a need? Can't. Well, that's all that happened in Barzillai's life. David wandered into his backyard. He heard that there was a need. He had resources. And he said, oh, here's a legitimate need. Uh, I better meet it. Wisdom takes resources and sees them as opportunities to give. And what does that have to do with being an octogenarian? What does that have to do with being 80 years old? Well, you know, the older you get, the more profoundly you get this sense of, I can't take it with me. And if I can't take it with me, I better use it while I can to love and bless people. Wise, godly people do this. And you know what? Brazilia, I was the same way. And he was about to get hit with a huge offer in the next verse. But the reality of it is he gave. Now, some of you are saying, you know, I'm looking at that passage. And if you look back with me in in 2 Samuel 19, you're going to say, I see this passage. And Mike, that's a nice passage. And I'd love to be generous, but I'm not a wealthy man. And if you look at verse 32, it says he gave all this stuff. He provided for the king. He was a wealthy man. Now, some of you think this because you're very worldly in your thinking. You think he's generous because he's wealthy. Do you know what the Bible teaches about that? The Bible teaches that people get wealthy because they're generous. That's the upside-down principle of Scripture. Let me prove it to you. I guess I turned you back. But turn one more passage with me, as long as I'm trying to prove this to you. Proverbs 28. Let me show you what the Bible says. Proverbs. It's like the kid who's given two apples by his mom. You ever heard this one? Two apples by his mom. And one is big and one is small. And she hands them to her son. And she says, son, be generous with your sister by giving her the bigger apple. And of course, he's not happy with that. And he says, mom, why don't you give the apples to my sister and tell her to be generous? (laughs) Right? And I've heard that before. And I thought to myself, as I was thinking through this principle, that's exactly what God will do. He will give his resources to generous people. And I don't think Brazilii was generous because he was wealthy. I'm convinced that in the economy of God, he was wealthy because he was generous. Let me show it to you. Proverbs 28, verse number 8. Look what it says there about wealth. It says, those who increase their wealth by exorbitant interest, translation, they're greedy. They're hoarding. They're amassing. They're just trying to get get a buck. They amass their wealth for another. Thank you very much who will be poor, or kind, rather, to the poor. Translation, the generous people. You got the greedy people collecting their money, and God's saying, great, you know, make a few more bucks, get that nice and big, because I'm going to transfer it over here to these people so that they can be generous with it. Because God's heart beats to be generous, to love people with material possessions. That's what God wants to do. He wants people loving people with their material possessions. When there's a need, they meet it. And he's looking for generous people. So he says, greedy people, go ahead, rack it up, because I'm going to take that and I'm going to give it to generous people. Now, wisdom recognizes that you can't outgive God. Wisdom on the brink of eternity recognizes I can't take it with me. If you're taking notes this morning, that was kind of how I wanted to summarize this first point. Jot it down that way. You can't take it with you. You've got to realize you can't take any of your wealth. And if you can't take any of your wealth, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, then it's not given to you to collect. It's given to you to use. And that's why God gives you stuff. He wants you to use it, collecting it. And Dietrich really drove it home when he said hoarding is idolatry. And wise people don't want to become bigger idolaters. Wise people want to become a greater conduit of God's love. 
They want to see needs and try and meet them in the body of Christ. They want to see someone who has a a financial, a legitimate financial need and try and step in and, and do something with that. They want to see people that are willing to love people with their material possessions. Your relationship to your money, when you're 92, it'll change. I guarantee you. But if you want to be wise and you want to make value judgments that are ahead of your time, then you better start recognizing that generosity is to be valued and it's to be valued above your security. And that's a hard one for us that are younger because we're always looking ahead, thinking we've got to bank up and bankroll all this money in the future so we can you know, have this nice security blanket down the road. You want to be a wise person? Use your resources as opportunities to love people. How do you do that? You remember, you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. Rich, wealthy, beast, all the same when it comes to death. We're all poor, and we all have no money when we cross that threshold. Back to our passage. Second Samuel chapter 19. Not only did he give, and he gave as a wealthy man, a generous man, But it was responded to by the king in verse 33. And now we're in the present situation where the king steps up and says, you've been so good to me. Brasilii, cross over with me and stay with me in Jerusalem and I will provide for you. Now, that was huge. I mean, you might be a rich rancher out in the uh, Transjordan hills of Gilead. But when the king, the sovereign king in a monarchy, this is no democracy here. But when the sovereign king of a monarchy in a Middle Eastern country says to you, come Be with me, and in my powerful, rich kingdom that I have total control over, if I want to raise taxes, I just just snap my fingers. You come and live with me in my kingdom, in my capital city, and I'll take care of you. If he was 30 years old, his eyes would have gone, "Mm, really? (laughs) Ching, ching, you know, the dollar signs would pop up. You're thinking, live with the king in Jerusalem? And you're going to take care of all my needs. You're thinking, I'm so glad I helped him out, you know. I'm so glad I, I was generous at the right time because now I'm, I'm getting back. Easy Street. Every possible need, financial or otherwise, would be met. You know, there's something about uh, elderly people. kind of bugs me. And it's what Brasilia is about to do. He's going to look at that fantastic opportunity. And look what he says. Verse 34. Uh, you know... That's nice, but uh, I'm not going to be around much longer. Why why should I go up to Jerusalem with the king? You know, I'm 80 years old. Can I tell the difference between what's good and what's not? He's making a statement here about the fact that, you know, whether it's a a great item or an okay item, it doesn't matter. And it's not that he he can't taste anything or he's, he's deaf. He's just making statements in these next two phrases about the differentiation between the two. Can your servant taste what he eats and drinks? I mean, if, if it's a hamburger from McDonald's or prime rib at the chart house, you know, it doesn't, it's not a big deal to me. Um, it, it's not, it doesn't matter. He says, can I still hear the voices of men and women singers? Does it, does it really matter if it's, if it's a radio on the counter next to the sink or a surround sound system in the, in the living room? It, it, it doesn't matter to me. Why? Because he's old and it doesn't matter anymore. It's not, it doesn't have the appeal. Now, sometimes I say it bugs me because as, a, as an aggressive younger person, I see the opportunities and, and that instinct is like, go, man, go. If there's an open door, just slam through it. And, and older folks, sometimes they see the opportunity. They win the, the you know, trip to Europe in some you know, bingo game or something or whatever. And, and you know, it's like, they're like, nah, I don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. What do you mean? You know, they, they, they win something. It's like, eh, I'm not interested. Why do they do that? Well, they do that because something comes inherently with age, generally speaking, and that is there is a sense of what 
is important to them that is not adventure. It's not fun. It's not pleasure. It's just the simple things. And look what he says. He finishes this up with saying, you know, I'll cross the Jordan with you, verse 36, for a short distance. But I, why should you reward me like that? I don't need that stuff. Look at verse 37. Let your servant return. I just want to go to my hometown. I want to go to Rogalim. I want to sit out under my favorite tree and my shade tree in my yard. I want to sit on my, my favorite recliner. Just let me go back, finish the rest of my life that I may die in my own town, my own chair, my own house, eating my own food, that I can be buried near the tomb of my father and my mother. I'm just interested in, 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 you know, finishing well. Wisdom that often comes with old elderly folks that is demonstrated by this statement and this response to the king's big offer is that you can look at a guy like Brasilia and say he's content. And that's a value we don't find much in South Orange County. To be content with what you got. To not see the opportunity or the raise or the, or the, or the promotion as a no-brainer. But really standing back and saying, you know what, it, it ain't really any big deal. I'm going to see if this is really in line with what I should be doing. Is this, a, is this what God wants me to do? Is this the lot God wants me to take in life? There's that simplicity of life. There's that contentment in life. And it's very different than the average young person or the average middle-aged person for that matter. The opportunities don't have that, that luster, that appeal, that allure that it has to a younger person. And I think wisdom, when I watch older folks do that, it may frustrate me at first, but I stand back and I wish that my heart didn't beat a little faster at these opportunities because I wish I could stand back with the kind of of stability and the careful, discerning, decision-making skills that they have because they're not tempted. Think about the advantage we have if Satan can't dangle out the world's stuff in front of us and have our hearts beat faster. Think about how safeguarded we would be against sin and temptation if we could have the 80-year-old perspective of Barzillai and say, you know, it doesn't interest me. I think of guys that uh, have kind of been through some of this and they're not even 80 years old. Frank Pastore came here on a Friday, uh, pitcher, uh, former pitcher from the Reds and uh, one of our men's, men's events. And he told us about pitching, you know, for Cincinnati Reds and, and rubbing shoulders with the Hall of Famers and driving the red Porsche and having all the big bucks and being on TV and all this stuff. And he sat there saying, I've done all that. And you know what his response was? We hear it all the time from folks that have been through that. What do they say? No big deal. You know, it ain't all it's cracked up to be. And there's more classic octogenarian wisdom to come when Pastor Mike Fabares continues this message. You're listening to Focal Point and the first half of a message called Making Value Judgments That Are Ahead of Your Time. If you'd like to access the study notes or if you'd like to listen to the complete message without interruption, go to focalpointradio.org. And when you're online, be sure to sign up for our free weekly email. Just go to focalpointradio.org and look for the link that says Weekly Devotionals. Well, for the past several months, we've been gleaning wisdom from Second Samuel. And if you've joined us throughout this study, you've heard countless stories from Scripture that encourage us to press on and trust God, even when it's difficult. That's why this month we're featuring an empowering book written by Dr. George Sweeting called The Pursuit of Excellence. You know, a great way to gain godly wisdom is by looking back and studying the lives of people God has used throughout history. As you read about other believers who have pursued and achieved excellence, you'll be inspired to pursue and fulfill God's calling for your own life. When you make a donation to support Focal Point today, we'll send you a copy of Dr. Sweeting's book as our way of saying thanks. Just call 888-320-5885 or give online at focalpointradio.org. 
Or if you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And remember to ask for the book, The Pursuit of Excellence, when you get in touch. You know, we work hard to make Pastor Mike's teaching available to our listeners in as many formats as we can, but none of it is possible without your generous donations. If you've given to support this ministry in the past, thank you. We truly appreciate you. And if you've never contacted us before, please reach out today. When you do, we'll send you a free pamphlet all about knowing God's will. We'd love to hear from you. So let us know you're listening when you call 888-320-5885. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again on Wednesday when Pastor Mike shares more octogenarian wisdom right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, it's an honor to be with you every day, helping you explore the depths of Scripture. But I want to be clear, no amount of Bible knowledge is ever going to save you. Be sure where you stand with God. Get in touch with us. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Visit us today at focalpointradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.